everybody. Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jousma joining you, and with us we have Her Holiness, the Reverend Tracy. How's it going? Oh, you know, living the dream, Tim. One nightmare at a time. What a wonderful, wonderful time we're living in, right? I mean, at least I got a uh, PS4 now. Um, Aubrey uh, ended up buying one, so I've been playing that all week. She ended up seeing my video game side. Um, because she bought some, she bought some games. Some of them came right away, but they were the one-player games, and we have some uh, that we've been waiting for all fucking week uh, uh, to to come in. That would be the two-player games. So we stopped by the store to uh, grab Mortal Kombat, just a simple two-player game to play. But she saw what happens when I lose in a game. And it was just like, fuck, fuck, fuck you, bitch. And I had to turn to her like, no, no, the character's the bitch, not you. I'm seeing that stuff. Yeah, so that that was uh that that's been the highlight of uh, our week here. Um but uh we've had a bit of a sad week since we last recorded. And indeed it's good to have a distraction, because yeah, it's been really kind of a bummer um probably no news to anybody the passing of one notorious rbg ruth bader ginsburg i feel like i always say her name wrong by the way well how do you think it's supposed to sound is it ginsburg or ginsburg uh i've always heard it was ginsburg okay my hearing so yeah. i mean not to bring it up but you know it's one of those things i've never really asked and i feel like people anywho not to derail too much but yeah so that was that was a big bummer to hear about. A lot of people are really devastated. Some are scared. Rightfully so, um, especially with an article that uh, came out. I believe it was in the Atlantic. Um, the, some members of the Trump administration were interviewed, and they were discussing their plans of ways to circumvent the election um, by, you know, contacting uh, like Republican friendly states and getting special electors that will only vote for Trump. Um, They're hoping that everything with the post office to the pandemic will allow them to kind of cloud the results, even though, you know, uh, absentee mail-in ballots, there are virtually no, there's no history of abuse on that because as what at the end of the day what is there to gain with that i mean you, you get a felony for that for no real gain yes and then i heard actually on the drive home this is the 24th thursday and i was i listened to npr you know big shocker there probably nobody's shocked by that at all but they were talking about how there is some investigation going on on a few ballots that didn't get counted it was a total of nine not 90, not 900, nine, nine ballots. And these were, uh, I think they even said that they were military ballots. It's, it's early, so I don't want to overquote that one since I literally just heard about it. Right. So, I mean, yeah, because uh, there's some concern that they want to rush this because the sooner they get somebody in, the sooner they can maybe try to get a judgment on things like mail-in voting, which could be potentially bad for places like Oregon, you know, who, We've been. That's one of the reasons I moved here. Actually, was uh, you know I've I've been skeptical of some of the voting stuff for some time, um, but that's you know I could do a whole episode probably <laughs> on on voting and and some of the problems with it and how like some people are just openly manipulated. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, so that could be bad. There's also um, there's a lot of people who are also afraid for women's rights right now because uh, and I tried to find it. Somebody said that they. 
at work, somebody at work mentioned that they had seen somebody share a post about like all of the stuff that she was involved in, like even things as such as that women couldn't get a credit card at one point without having their husband sign for it and things like that, that she fought for. And, um, that would have been cool. I did not find it though before the show, but you know, she's had her hands in a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, women's rights, there, there's a big talk about the concern of overturning Roe v. Wade. Understandably so. Um, to uh, add on to what you were just talking about, about our accomplishments, I did speak to uh, the greatest uh, legal mind in the Pacific Northwest, Professor Aubrey. And uh, oh. she, yeah, she was able to um, give me a couple of tidbits I will share about her history. Um, she was Some good positive stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah. She was one of only nine women at Harvard uh, Law School in 1956, and she became the first woman to serve on Harvard's Law Review. Uh, She founded the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU with a goal to remove artificial barriers and open opportunities for women. She ruled in the majority to make same-sex marriage legal under the 14th Amendment. And um, even there was a case that came to the Supreme Court that she dissented on. um, But in her dissent, uh, she urged Congress to... um, She basically made the argument that under the law as it currently stood, she had to rule with the dissenting, but she urged Congress to... To go ahead and you know cover up what cover up what she was not able to do, and her work helped with the creation of the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which revised discrimination laws to allow prior acts outside of the normal 180-day statute of limitations for pay discrimination to be incorporated into the claim, which greatly helped women. Yeah, she, um, and, and also speaking to the other point too, I believe there are cases very soon on the horizon that could easily eat away at Roe v. Wade. Um, so, yeah, um, I know, when I heard the news, um, uh, I, I went to Twitter and like, fuck, was, was, was trending? Because <laughs> everybody's reaction was just, fuck, this, is, this came at the worst time. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, it goes back to some of the conversation that happened when Scalia passed when he did, you know, and all of the, you know, if it makes you feel better, or if there's an opening in the last year of President Trump's term or whatever, we won't put anybody in, said Mitch McConnell in 2016. Um, (laughs) And that, that actually kind of goes to more my bigger issue around this is... Uh, I heard somebody explain that their biggest problem with politics right now is it's not really about what seems to be best for the people. It's almost like sports team level. Like you are going to ride or die support this team no matter what they do. And I'm sorry, I have absolutely zero respect for a man who sat there and told Americans who already weren't okay with them not allowing the current president to appoint somebody to that open seat. Like – He told us, if it makes you feel okay, this exact situation, this one right here, this bullshit they're pulling right now is what he said they wouldn't do. So, like, that's where I have a total issue right now, Uh, because I I do try to consider myself as a true independent. You know, I used to actually sit and and consider both sides. That has not happened since McCain. Um, And, you know, I, I that's totally other topic but Mm. now it's just gotten to such a point where i'm kind of annoyed with with both of the extremes on it uh because no problem solving is going to happen at these extremist levels and 
this is where we're at now. Uh, but anywho, some of the talk was that they thought it was, uh, some of the whisperings about her is they felt that it was irresponsible for her to not step down. Um, because when this all started, these weren't meant to be terms that lasted forever. These were supposed to be people already in their golden years of judging. They had seen things there, you know, and, and part of the tenure of it was intended so that they could plan out their retirement. And a lot of that retirement planning was typically to try to retire under your own party's president. So that is why Scalia held on. And that was part of why they fought that so hard. So this is why it frustrated frustrates me that they are going to actually try to push and fill her seat um, when she was probably trying to wait until the election to hopefully retire under a Democrat. So that's basically my big nutshell of it, of what I understand of the total impact. She did some kick-ass things in her life. People are scared because they're worried about this big tipping point in the Electoral College. Um, Hashtag maybe we should look into is the electoral college like maybe outdated in how we do it? Does it need to be looked at? Because this was a conversation that started with Scalia that, you know, then an election happened and then nobody talked about it anymore. So yeah. then it happens again. And here we are just as unprepared, just as fighting about it as we were when it happened in 2016. So this is my big frustration with politics is people only giving a shit every four years is what puts us in these situations. Yeah, and uh, yeah, to your point, the whole um, <laughs> hello, Mr. Tracy. Um, the <laughs> oh yes, my husband just passed by, <laughs> the Mr. Reverend. Okay, um, yeah, just it, 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 we're living in a bizarre time. I, I've I've never. <sighs> I mean, I, even back in the nineties. Democrats and Republicans found ways to work together to make compromises. There's no such, I mean, because I remember back in the 2012 presidential uh, election debates, it was during the Republican primary. I watched one of the debates and um, somebody brought up a compromise and like almost every single candidate to a T was acting like compromise was telling, was, was the equivalent of telling them to like, you know, like murder their family pet with a rusty butter knife or something like that. Yeah. And, and, and it, I at this point, especially with this now, I I am you know quite scared for what November is going to bring us. Um, hopefully, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, um, because I have read too that um, uh, I have read one article stating that even though the media corporations want to make this seem like it's a tighter race than it actually is that Joe Biden is comfortably ahead, that people shouldn't worry that much. But I remember 2016, you know, they were stating Hillary Clinton <laughs> was going to, you know, win with, with oh, a healthy yeah. margin. All of the professionals said this was going to be a landslide. Like, I, I am definitely not buying into it with that level of comfort this time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that show promise here, but there's also a lot of things that don't. There's still a lot of backing for that. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess it's extra alarming that he seems to be kind of priming right back to what he was doing, like if he would have lost in 2016. They, they, they scolded him for it then, too, basically priming his, his devote followers 
you know, that it's rigged, that, you know, you need to riot. Because, you know, he basically gave that command before, uh, you yeah. know, it, it implied more than just saying, go riot. I don't think he actually straight said it. So please don't put that on the quote of any any headline CNN. <clears throat> Sorry, the hashtag, maybe they're guilty, too. Um. <laughs> no, they definitely are. The, the guy who heads uh, CNN very much has come out and, and stated that Trump was good for ratings. And if he feels something is good for ratings, that's bringing money in yeah. with advertisers. What is he going to urge his his you know CNN to do? Focus yeah. on giving giving Trump as much free publicity as he got in 2016. Exactly, because see, when there's actually a really good documentary out um, about fake news. And it's kind of talking about how now both sides are pretty much indulging in it. And it's because of the marketing around headline grabbing, because it has to be dramatic to get you to read anything anymore. So it actually has made my own radar in my head. If I read a headline and it makes me upset, I immediately make sure I read every word of that article. (laughs) If I, if I want to drink that particular article's Kool-Aid, I am going to drink every sip of it and make sure how much sugar is in there. And then half the time you get in there and like, you know, Trump said whatever insane ass thing that sounds totally logical to come out of this man's mouth. But then you go and you read the transcript and that's not actually what was said. And so I'm not saying he's like an innocent, awesome dude. I am saying it does not help when those dramatic claims are being made for the sake of the headline grab, because that's what sells. Yeah, and there's a great book. Um, I encourage anybody to read it from Matt Taibbi. Um, He's a columnist for Rolling Stone. I believe he writes for a couple of other places, but it's called Hate Incorporated. Um, I've mentioned it on the show before, but it's, it's... it's kind of detailing the tricks of the trade for the press and how they manipulate the general public. And it's kind of a warning to the general public, too, to be aware of this because the news is just as much of a product that is being sold to you as liquor, as food, as video games. Yep. And You want to know why when you scroll by and there's all that clickbait in there? guess what kids it's the same thing as the person who it's like oh my god why do i have to read three paragraphs of monologue for a taco recipe like it's it's the same thing it is designed to get you to click um you know and hey just pro tip if it's an article that you have to click next every five seconds to get to the next point just abandon that ship that is not probably a reliable source Uh, i've actually i personally check out the bbc world news because they actually have a section for us and canada and, uh, you know, it, it's it's oddly interesting. I encourage, like, just go and be skeptical on whoever your favorite is. It's okay. It's safe out there. You are totally allowed to feel exactly the same way after you read <laughs> other sources. Uh, people just forget this. Like, you're allowed. You can read stuff and still feel the same. Right. But feel maybe more secure in how you feel. But, uh, yeah. So it'll be – it's interesting. Um, just – the times I, I every four years it's just a lot of anger and aggression and then that frustration over people not actually doing anything outside of that yeah um i watched it reminds me of a uh, uh, professor aubrey and i watched this rather downbeat and depressing documentary that's on netflix um called capital in the 21st century and uh-huh. kind of 
a detailed history of, you know, kind of how economics ties in with politics. And it, 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 it I, I'd have to watch it again and take notes because uh, I know we, we uh, briefly discussed talking about documentaries at some point, And I'd want to go more in depth on that uh, when we yeah. do. But... It feels like a natural topic kind of coming up for us lately. So yeah. maybe we can explore that in more deets. But yeah, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll take the name of it because I'm always down for a good documentary. Yep. Um, but all right, let's before we for uh, before I pull what's left of my hair out, let's uh, move on to uh, beep bop boop. Oh my goodness, boop bob beep uh, is the quote right now, kind of haunting one of the Mandalorian stars, Gina Carano. Carano. Uh, um, I'm... Something like that. She's an uh, MMA fighter, but yeah, she was in Deadpool um, briefly as one of the villains. And yeah, and of course, be, uh, her breakout role has been in The Mandalorian. Right. And uh, that's kind of where I learned about her because I was a late adopter of The Mandalorian. It took my husband watching it in the background for a while, and then I eventually went okay and then i got drawn in begrudgingly into this world it feels like but no it's it's actually a really good show and uh we have recently decided as a family that we're going to try to do a mandalorian themed family costume side note uh so i think it's funny that of course it's my character that i'm supposed (laughs) to dress up as that might be controversial to dress up as now um because of the putting of certain words in her Twitter bio in lieu of pronouns. And so, uh, and I am open to being educated about this. I I don't follow the stardom world. I I mostly try to let them have their personal life. Like I'm just, I'm not that level of a fan when it comes to them, but obviously I try to perk up when things like this come up. Um, But are you aware of any other, any other things that this person has done that's been like transphobic or anything like that? No. Um, and also reading through her Twitter comments um, and, and the article uh, that she sent me from uh, New Music Express. Um, it's From what it sounds like, it's like she was damned if she did and damned if she didn't. Because uh, um, one of her co-stars on uh, The Mandalorian um, uh, was a, is a cis male, but uh, in his Twitter profile, he put he, him, um, and, and whatnot as, as a, a sign of solidarity. And other fans were... Um, you know, telling her she should do it. And some were stating that if she doesn't, then she's transphobic and there was name calling. And so she did that as a way to, I don't know, maybe kind of bring those people up to the forefront or something like that. Um, uh, you know, some people had the comment of, you know, putting the be- whatever she wrote, beep, bop, boop, whatever, uh, in yeah. her profile, even if it was, even if it wasn't transphobic like J.K. Rowling has been lately, it's still a bit of an insult and it shouldn't have been done. And that's a fair point, I guess, but does that mean she has to lose her job? Right. It's like, am I going to lose my job? And I, I changed this, by the way, but on my Facebook, I mean, big shocker here. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a smart aleck and sometimes I make jokes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm funny <laughs> and not always. I, I, I often make jokes, but sometimes they're funny. And uh, for a while there under the name pronunciation for how to say Tracy, it would lead one into saying the word smartass. And so when I first heard this, 
uh, and read through this article, it sort of reminded me of like that being more of the intention of just, you know, it wants me to put this thing, but I could see, I guess, oh, but you're making fun of people who come from other places and, you know, don't have like a name that's just as common as yours where you live. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I could see that, but that's not how I meant it. Just throwing it out there. I was just being a smart ass because that's how I roll. Yeah. Um, like I, I wasn't trying to be nasty or mean. And I, it kind of almost brings up a side topic of this is also very prevalent in tech industry. I worked at one of the tech places, um, one of the bigger ones in Portland, and it was a very, very big thing to start putting pronouns everywhere. Like every event I went to one day, it was him, her, him, he, she, they. And, uh, you know, I, I am non-binary. I consider myself non-binary, but I personally just have an attitude. And I'm not saying this makes me right above anybody else, okay? Right. But my personal thing is, like, I don't find it offensive to be considered a he or a she. So, like, I don't know. Don't throw stank on it, and I'm cool. Like, just don't be mean to me about it. And you can he, me, she, me, they, me. Um, it took me a little while because down in, in Texas, being referred to as an it or not referring to a specific gender was like particularly insulting. So I've challenged that and been able to move past that, but I didn't really care to announce to people how I felt about my gender because I personally didn't think what it had to do with my job. So I, I kind of get like that weird pressure feeling like nobody told me I had to do it, but me not doing it was also a weird elephant in the room. So I totally get that level of it on her side where she felt like she needed to do something. And I even get succumbing to the urge to be funny about it. Because you cannot care and it not come from a place of hate. Yeah. And I wish we were more embracing of that. That instead of demonizing everybody's intent, that everybody's an asshole because there's kind of a highlight of, you know, the few ruining the many a few apples spoils the bunch we have a lot of highlight on our news towards a lot of hate and i feel like that's getting projected on more and more people um so i mean granted i will totally if i learn new information like hey she actually has this underground subreddit for like anti-trans shit like i will totally eat my words on that and actually no i won't because i will not claim to know everything about this human yeah but at, at a glance and at what is kind of available right now it it I kind of feel like it would be a little unjust to lose a job over this. When there are far worse things out there, I mean, like J.K. Rowling, for instance, uh, she tweeted out a photo of a T-shirt. Um, I, I forgot what the caption said, but um, the shirt itself was being sold by a turf organization. And just there are far more worse people out there that that do deserve the ridicule that do deserve the public shame for their actions uh that this does for me this doesn't this i I, i'm not comfortable with the level of vitriol that that uh she she's had to face now i I, i'm not trans i'm a cis white male and um i don't i'm not going to pretend to speak for that community so if they say they are um it's it's upsetting to put in um, something contrary to what your actual uh, pronouns are, I, fine, I'll leave that to them. That's, that, you know, that's up to them to be upset about. But, um, you know, again, difference between Gina Carano and, and, and let's bring up Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, I mean, arrested. Oh, 
Yeah, and he's never had his name removed from stuff. Like, that's the thing that I don't honestly know how I feel about it. Um, is the, the cancel culture-ness of it, of especially going back and erasing what people have done, um, artistically speaking. Yeah. Because I, I don't, I just, I, I have an issue with that. Like, I'm, I'm not saying, like, you should always look for the diamond in the turd of a human, uh, but to throw out everything that somebody has done, I'm not sure. And, like, by the way, George Takai, like talk about that one much like why did that one get such a pass what did he do wasn't there like something with george takai that came out we could totally i'd have to look into that yeah i haven't i haven't heard anything about let's let's not talk about something we didn't plan you're okay for now mr sulu (laughs) yeah i guess the other one that might be more well known uh, uh oh came out said he was gay and suddenly that made it okay oh kevin spacey there we go. Kevin Spacey is a little bit more well-known then. So Kevin Spacey came out and for some reason, like, it kind of disappeared. Like, because it's like, oh, well, he was ashamed about being gay. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that shouldn't pardon that. <laughs> well, the, 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 well, what, you're forget, what you didn't bring up there is the fact that um, the reason he came out was that there were accusations that um, he was a child molesting rapist. And yeah. um, and and just he was he was attempting to use that as a way to kind of deflect, um, you know, deflect anything, which you know, just fuck him. I mean, I, and, and to speak of cancel culture too, more often than not, when people bring up cancel culture, it's not about innocent people getting shunned and shamed for you know doing one wrong thing. More often than not, it's being brought up by people who said something stupid. And who don't want to suffer the consequences of what they said. Roseanne Barr, for instance, when they brought her show back, um, you know, went on a Twitter tirade that she blamed on drugs and um, and then started complaining about cancel culture after that. Like, I lost my show because no, it's it it You lost fans. Yeah. Fans can be lost based on shitty shit that you do. And that's where you have to own that. Really, the only two people I'm aware of that are permanently in the cancel culture bin are O.J. Simpson and Bill Cosby. There's nothing those two can ever do to to get back in the public's good graces. Um, Mel Gibson has... I, I don't think he's necessarily in the public's good graces as he once was, but he's still making movies. He's still... You know, he's... Like, he was in a Will Ferrell movie, wasn't he? Like uh, probably. I mean, he shows like up and he actually even seems to make fun of that. But I, I mean, I am one of those humans that does believe that if you do have a sobering moment, a wake up call, that you can like become a better human. And I guess that's where I do have kind of a disagreement with cancel culture. And so, yeah, those are the forever canceled canceled. Yeah, yeah. But I guess what I get concerned about is the whole cancel culture thing is being used more. And it's even being used to across political bridge as well that this idea and here's how i i guess a little bit feel about it mm-hmm. can't like the idea of canceling somebody for something they did like years and years and years ago for example i have a problem with because that implies that people don't change at all like it does depend on what it is by the way like there are monsters out there don't James get me wrong Gunn. but as far as you know having opinions and the ways that you have felt about some things it can evolve and change 
And maybe I feel that way about it coming from Texas and knowing how much I have grown and changed as a human and, and real things I used to very much believe. Uh, you know what I mean? Because of where I was raised, you are taught things. And then at a point I went nah and started looking at it on my own but not everybody has those epiphanies yeah Um, and some of them happen later so that's why i kind of have a little bit of a depending on what it was or if it was like was it a spoken thing and an opinion that was like whoa i can't believe this person thought that versus whoa i can't believe this person did that and i get scared when we are now judging people expressing opinions the same as somebody doing something yeah, I mean, because uh, to your point, verbally, um, yeah, v- people's mindset can be changed. Like, you know, Hulk Hogan is another one. In 2015, uh, they released, uh, Gawker released uh, some tapes that they shouldn't have, but uh, um, th- th- that were recorded around the same time as his horrific sex tape um, about uh, where he was saying some rather racist stuff. And to me, cancel culture has to be fluid. Because to your point, people can and do change. You know, like Robert Downey Jr., for instance, in the 90s, he very much was canceled because of his behavior, um, being in jail all the time. People didn't want to see him, but he he worked at it. He made himself better. He made himself healthy. Now he's at at top of the world. I mean, and and I think, in my heart, I believe people at the end of the day, most people can accept that people can and do change, and they will welcome that. But we, we got to be careful about cancel about discussing cancel culture, about acting out on cancel culture, because not everybody's perfect. I mean, because like I, a couple of years back, I started going through Facebook has a thing to where you can like look back on this day, your previous messages, like the what did I write five years ago, 10 years ago? And I, I started noticing that I at one point about a decade ago, I started um uh, doing Facebook messages that were quotes from Family Guy, but I didn't attribute them to Family Guy. And I felt that if somebody came across those and didn't know that they were from Family Guy, they would be like, do I really want to hire this guy for a job? And, you know, it, it, uh, you know, people... Yeah, he uh, lifts quotes. Why would I want to hire this writer? Yeah, uh, basically, and not, yeah. <laughs> the, well, uh, like quoting a Quagmire thing, like, you know, ask a, like one quote, I, I, it's funny, but it's wrong, but it's, uh, you know, ask a woman about her father, and if she says anything nice about him, you move on to the next one. solid daddy issues jokes yeah yeah (laughs) but it's 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 everybody especially on social media you know if it has something that i've even had another one i remember on twitter one time it was before the force awakens comes out there was a story of a kid who had a terminal illness and then disney uh showed him um a special screening of the movie before it came out um and you know sadly he passed away but i responded to uh that article on twitter with oh i wish i had a terminal illness and a lot of people tack, tacked on, and it made me realize that it, it, I shouldn't have written that because th- that that type of comment is more conducive to actually hearing me say it, seeing my body language, knowing that I wasn't ser- serious, having it typed out, and having a complete stranger that will never know me read that. You know, that's a different story yeah. altogether. So it's, it's. But doesn't that go back to the assumption of intent on people seems to be that we are encouraged to think that people are awful? Yeah. 
Weird. And that's, I guess, why stories like this bug. Um, I don't think this person was trying to be awful. Um, I could even totally see if this person happens to be non-binary and maybe kind of felt the same way I did where I'm more likely to joke about it because I just don't want that conversation at work. Uh, granted, it really stinks when your work is so visible to so many humans. Yeah. And I can understand that there can be repercussions for deciding not to say something, too. It just it kind of stinks because I'm not feeling the hate from it. Um, There's a difference between what she did and what Louis C.K. did. Louis C.K., his work was detrimental to his business, you know, putting people in it, 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 what he did was sick. And but um, yeah. but with her, yeah. It, she shouldn't have to lose. Uh, it, maybe it's an educational moment. Maybe uh, uh, like the Trevor Project could, you know, connect with her and find some way to, you know, do something. You know, it sounds like she's she's willing to do that because she's. It sounds like she's talked to uh, the coworker that you know works with uh, trans organizations, um, and it sounds like she has the best intentions. But uh, she doesn't need to lose her job. Yeah, and I'm hoping her reaching out and saying, hey, like, I totally get, like, like, hey, I, I will do some work. Uh, I, I did not mean to offend anybody, which seems to be how she's trying to respond to this. And I, I guess I just hope that I see that embraced. I would like to see her not fired. Um, I would also like to not see that somebody digs up that somehow she is totally, like, head like spearheading some awful like hate groups or something i don't think that's what's going on no. uh, i hope that's not what's going on and uh yeah and so if she's genuine and genuinely didn't mean to be awful about it i hope karma pays her out and by that i mean not lose her job but it, if she's a shit maybe lose her job cool <laughs> exactly well let's move on to the top five favorite segment this week we are going to be discussing our top five favorite tv shows from the year 1976 yes, yes. how how easy was it for you to compile your list uh i actually struggled because this again it goes into uh, these were much earlier right. so they they didn't get replayed a lot later on um, but I did remember enough to at least cobble up a list of five. So okay, I'm kind of in a kind of in the same boat, just because I mean, TV uh, back in that era, you know, a lot of new shows came out. So just going, th and there's also I, I forgot the name of the channel, but I've, I've you know sent you a clip. There there are some great YouTube uh, channels out there that will compile like TV show theme songs from particular eras, and it was great, um, you know, looking at 1976. But you know. My, uh, there's a good chance that uh, a portion of my list is probably on your list as well. But oh yeah, because yeah. let's be real, we probably caught these on like Nick at Night of and course. stuff like that. Of course. Um, yeah. So uh, do you, uh, go ahead and lead the way. Which it was your birthday, Tim. So you go ahead and go first. Okay. Oh, I feel so special. Oh my god, birthday hat and everything. Um. <laughs> all right. The first one on my list is the Rockford Files. James Garner um, plays a detective, Jim Rockford, and um, each week 
he he just solves crimes. Um, it was made by the same people that did the TV show Maverick. Maverick was a, the show that essentially made James Garner a star back in the day. Um, but they wanted a more modern take on that because Westerns in the, the 70s were kind of on that downward slide. Um, and so they came up with the, this down on his luck, a private eye, lives in a trailer with his dad. Um, each, each episode starts with um, a fancy new fan-dangled machine that was brand new in the 70s called an answering machine and it would you know each yeah each each episode would be like bill collectors or something like that and then you have the awesome mike post theme song i mean probably one of my favorite uh theme songs there but just uh you know jim garner he kicks ass in in so many ways and um i don't have a specific episode to uh, refer people to enjoy but just i'm always a good sucker for a good uh private eye the ass kicking type story so i i had to put that on my list so what's first on your list so first on my list and this goes i mean i called it because it was dick at night so this was i remember uh, when we worked on the farm, we would come in and we would watch like the, the late night because Nick at Night eventually became its own channel. But for a little while there, it just ran shows. It was Nickelodeon, just the at night some segments. Actually, so actually. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore. I remember watching a lot of Mary Tyler Moore. And then one of the weird, dumb farm stories we have is that my biggest memory around it was we had a pig named Wilbur that wound up living inside the house with us because that's the kind of shit you deal with when you're a farm kid and um but he was a runt but that's the long and short of that (laughs) but he loved mary tyler moore um to the tune of he had a little pet taxi or whatever in another room and there was one time because we'd let him out to watch tv with us and uh he could hear the mary tyler moore theme song starting and he hadn't been let out and we, like, got scared because it sounded like something was seriously wrong. Like, he was being skinned alive. And we go back there and we let him out. And he just, like, trots out and sits down. And that's the first time we realized that this pig actually watches this show and likes Mary Tyler Moore and would, like, take at the commercials, would lose interest and go get a drink of water and shit. It was so funny to put that together oh, <laughs> as a family that this pig liked the show more than we did. <laughs> Uh, believe it or not, Mary Tyler Moore is on my list as well. Um, I mean, for the fact alone, um, this was James L. Brooks' first big show. And James L. Brooks, um, he, for almost close to 50 years now, has has a major impact on comedy. Because he went on to do, uh, produce stuff like Taxi, produce the Tracy Ullman show. Um, He produced this little show you may have heard of called The Simpsons. Um, It did, uh, directed the movie Broadcast News, As Good As It Gets. Um, And then, of course, the actors on the show. I mean, Ted Knight is one of my favorite, favorite actors. Just, it, it just it, him as Ted Baxter, the newsman. How he could deliver some of the some of the dumb things that character had to say, and yet you knew he was projecting it as if he as if he felt it was the smartest thing in the world that he was saying. I mean, just everything. And Betty White, Betty White. Uh, what was her Sue Ann Nivens? I think her name was. Um, Cloris Leachman. Can't forget her. Um, Phyllis. Um, there were a co- and. Uh, uh, Valerie Harper, uh, Rhoda. I mean, so many, so many great characters. Yes, I, I recall reading about Betty White because that was also her character was a little bit of a floozy mm-hmm. um, on Mary Tyler Moore, and that was one of the reasons she wanted to trade uh, in Golden Girls yep. with Rue was because she felt she had already done that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I do remember a little bit about Mary Tyler Moore. 
uh, I mean, God, I mean, and how long did we probably end up watching it? Like the span of it, because it played like on that Nick at Night type feel for a while. So I imagine a lot of people had it in the background at the very least of their childhood. Yeah, I mean, it definitely caught up with a lot of people. Um, If you're going to check out any episode, there's an episode. I forgot the specific name of it, but there at the news uh, channel, there was a clown that did a TV show that ended up dying. And, like, everybody was making uh, jokes about the clown. And Mary, throughout the episode, was telling people to not make jokes. Don't make jokes. This is a sad, somber occasion. Then they get to the funeral. The person doing the eulogy says something. And then she cannot help but burst out laughing. And apparently that's one of the longest, uh, longest sustained recorded laughs in television history. So... Classic show. Um, since we matched there, we'll go ahead with your next choice. All right. Uh, well, then I will go ahead and go along then with MASH. Uh, <laughs> another I, choice? Another one. I kinda, yeah. Again, it's one that played for a long time. And then funny enough, I don't recall my Vietnam veteran dad watching this, but I recall my mother watching it a lot. Mm. And I do recall having to have a sit-down conversation about, uh, was it who was it that cross-dressed? Uh, Clear. It, okay, I'm, I was going to say Klinger, but I feel like I mix up names a lot because I haven't watched the show recently. I just recall it really being in the background a lot. And then, like, there's this dude and he cross-dresses. And why is he acting that way? And then mostly it was like, just just don't don't think about that too much. Go play with your dolls in the corner. But, yeah, like, it was also very impactful. They covered a lot of serious stuff. And I didn't get a lot of wartime explained to me. I was... You know, it wasn't that my dad, like, hid it necessarily. It just didn't really come up. So it was the most that I got exposed to any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, it, the, when, you know, there were times when characters died and, uh, you know, very somber moments, but also very silly moments, too, and kind of that human spirit that they, they had kind of in the background of all of it was, I think that's something that stuck with me as a kid, that even though they covered a lot of heavy topics, a lot of sadness, and a lot of shit and suffering going on, there was still like an awesome human tribal element that you got to see play out in these humans as much as even like some of the hate, right? Like, yeah. uh, oh, who was the annoying chick? Um, Hot Lips Hulahan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wasn't she super fucking like anal? Like, they really played her. At first, like, at, at first, at first, when, okay. when uh, Frank Burns was still on the show, um, she, yeah, she was by, like, I think, like, one of her first lines in the pilot episode was, they're ruining this war, and, because the other, other doctors were not following the rules, but uh, for me, MASH has to be on the Mount Rushmore of TV shows, I mean, this is, this has yeah. to be one of the best representations of what tv can do um i've i've seen the movie i've even read the original books that the whole mash franchise uh was based on and and speaking of clinger as a kid i had a clinger action figure they sold mash action figures and i had a clinger action figure as a kid he wasn't in a dress or anything it was a regular army uniform but i had a clinger action figure Wow. See, I don't even know if they would. I mean, do you think they would have even sold it with a dress? Like, did they ever do that? Oh, God. It's 70s and 80s. Of course not. I mean, he was. I I mean, I know that wouldn't have sold in Texas. Like, even if it did exist, they wouldn't have put that (laughs) on the shelves down where I lived anyway. But, uh, yeah, because it wasn't like you had Amazon back then, you know, where you could just get whatever the fuck you wanted. But uh, I also remember, like, later learning that that theme song. 
uh, Suicide is Painless. If you were ever curious the name of that one, and if you want some good cheery up lyrics, folks, just go and uh, listen to that song with the words. It'll, it'll sure put you in a, in a happy, skippy mood. Funny enough, Not. funny enough, the person who wrote that was Robert Altman's son. Robert Altman was a director on the movie MASH, and apparently his son made more on MASH than he ever did because of that song. Wow. So, funny enough there. And one other tidbit, too, uh, it, it's interesting that you brought up uh, your father's experience because the guy who um, essentially created everything with the book MASH, uh, Richard Hooker, was a hardcore Republican. He hated everything about MASH because that was not his intention. I mean, he just, essentially his idea of MASH was just guys partying in war, essentially. It wasn't about how bad war was. It was about how silly these doctors can get and didn't get the point that, you know, this could be used to show how bad war really was. So he was not a fan. So that, that I always thought that was an interesting tidbit. But MASH has been on uh, perpetual... Uh, reruns it's i believe it's on hulu right now i mean go watch it i mean the last episode always gets me crying when you know the helicopter lifts up and then goodbye is written on the ground just yeah yeah all right it it was a good one iconic even like i I might have to actually watch that one but since so since we matched twice why don't you go ahead because i like i said i suspect we're gonna match a few more times Okay, Um, this show was on the air in 1976, and this particular show was on the air the day I was born. The special guest host that day was Lily Tomlin, Saturday Night Live. Was that on your list, too? It actually, I didn't make that one because this is going to shock some people. I actually have not seen a lot of SNL. I I have seen some more recently, but I am not a traditional go back far fan. Um, But I do, I do love it. So I will totally let you gush on SNL (laughs) as long as you want. Like they've had great. I mean, I I can't say really much negative about it, and it's been going on. Has it been solid running this whole time? Uh, Okay, because I couldn't remember if it took a break. Did it take a break? No, um, 1975 on. Um, When the show first started, in fact, in 1976, it wasn't called Saturday Night Live. It was NBC Saturday Night. NBC Saturday Night because ABC had a show called Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. That I guess Billy Crystal was on and a couple of other folks, but um, it wasn't until the Howard Cosell show was canceled that that came on. But, um, you know, people have talked about that show for years and years and years, of course, and it, it, it's created a lot of iconic stuff like uh, in the original cast. My favorite is going to be the Blues Brothers, bar none, um, you know, the, the, and, and uh, the later eras. Like, I, I think the one of the best up until uh, the the true Hollywood stories uh, where where Charlie Murphy talks about um, meeting Rick James on the Chappelle show I think the greatest bit of uh, sketch comedy that I've ever seen came from Saturday Night Live and that was the Eddie Murphy bit white like me have you ever seen that <laughs> no I have not oh the, it's fucking brilliant it's it's <laughs> He, he gets the uh, makeup artist from Saturday Night Live to paint him white because he wanted to experience what life was like as a white man. So um, he went out as a white man and went to a bank. Um, he's, they showed him uh, interviewing with a black bank teller first, you know, because he showed up with no um, identification or something but wanted a loan. And the guy was like, I can't possibly give you a loan. And then the head of the bank, a white guy, excuses the black guy to go off and goes, I'm sorry about that. How much money did you need? Did you need a little more? And he just pulls like a sack 
lack of money, Alan starts giving him money. Then there, there's... Oh my god, I think I actually have seen this now that you're playing it out for me because this concept feels really familiar. Yeah, and then there was another scene on a bus, like where there's like one black guy in a bus and there are a bunch of white people. The one black guy gets off, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody starts getting served drinks, and it's 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 funny. And then I, the whole punchline is that you know that you know i can't solve anything but i got a lot of makeup and i got a lot of friends so we're gonna see what we can get out of all of it. yeah <laughs> you know and then um the, from the era i grew up in i don't know why this stuck with me but my favorite sketch was massive head wound harry it only happened once but it was Dana Carve. It was the episode that uh, Linda Hamilton guest starred on. Um, uh-huh. he, he was he played an unwanted guest, massive head wound. Harry had a little thing attached to his head, and like he just just a massive head wound. There was like a scene where he's like lying down, and he's like I'm I'm so lightheaded, and there's like blood everywhere. But then a dog. They had a dog on set, and the dog started licking the prosthetic and then trying to bite it off, <laughs> and everybody oh, no. stopped laughing. But Saturday Night Live is a classic up until Will Ferrell because what fuck Will Ferrell up until Will Ferrell is that what you said yeah that, that's I, that's really once he joined the cast I was done I I, I have not watched that uh, show in well over 20 years oh you're missing out on some solid Kate McKinnon I, I might have to try to cherry pick some for you just because she's worth it and some of hers where she's like broken the cast around her but she is still whatever character she is like she's still not Kate McKinnon, and uh, everyone is reacting to her, and it's beautiful. But so I, I might have to try to bring you to some of the more recent ones. Good luck with that. No, but um, <laughs> well, the, the, it, it made me. I mean, the, the, what that show made me realize more than anything is that yeah, you can't. It's it's not a show that you can go back and just like watch a full episode. You really have to watch it for the clips. And the best eras are the ones that had multiple good good sketches on like one individual show and not just like one good sketch and then a bunch of shitty ones after that so uh, and and humor changes so we'll see but anyway what's the next one on your list so for me the next one was another one i recall playing a lot in the background and i also kind of love the fun trivia that it is the originator of jumping the shark happy days oh god (laughs) I also really personally love that I guess the actor that played the Fonz was like a loser growing up. So you want to talk about a major <laughs> suck it high school reunion? Like go be the Fonz. Like hey. I was the fucking Fonz. But uh, yeah, I just I recall that show being kind of, you know, one of the first ones that, you know, they were at least in school. You know, there weren't really a lot of shows about, like, kids and how they did stuff. So this was kind of the closest to that, especially repeats uh, that I more were paying attention to by the time I was in middle school, etc. But yeah, so I liked it for that. Well, one trivia bit uh, for the Fonz is that uh, Henry Winkler uh, was not the only one considered for that role. It came down to him and Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees. And uh, ultimately, ultimately, uh, Henry Winkler obviously got the role and they're still friends today and they talk about it. But um, uh, that show, I I don't like that show, but I can respect everything that that it brought us. I mean, essentially, it gave Ron Howard his first big adult uh, type of stage to be um, to to act on. Um, It gave us Robin Williams. 
you know, I mean, Mark and Mindy of, uh, you know, it was a spinoff of Happy Days, oddly enough. Yes, um, that was one that I actually tried to seek out, but it wasn't around yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there there's a few things that actually just barely weren't around because, you know, we go back to these were like reruns that I kind of vaguely remember seeing at some point in middle school, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I do actually remember watching. The episode where Fonzie jumped the shark. So, did you know that the trivia with jumping? Oh yeah, I remember um, that episode clearly. It was the yeah. I remember watching it and just going, "The fuck did he just do?" Like, obviously, I didn't say that out loud because maybe I was like seven or whatever by the time <laughs> I saw that episode. Would have been but, funny uh, if you did. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> it would have been great. I would have been grounded and maybe like I don't know back then probably not able to speak anymore afterwards. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, my parents weren't that bad about cussing. But. Uh, yeah, I just remember seeing the whole jump the shark thing, and I just and then hearing about the jump the shark term later and being like, "Oh my god, I remember watching that." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will get to the last one on my list now, and it recently had its own channel made on the Pluto TV app, which I recommend to any, anybody. It's it's great quality content for free. You still have to watch commercials, but it's free. Um, Three's Company. Three's, Com- Three's Company? Oh, hold mm-hmm. on. That didn't start until March of 77. No, that was on a 76. Was it? Because that was one that almost wound up on my list. Because if so, I'm totally going to join you on this one. But we can to- we can go into it anyway. I-, I tried to be careful because with looking at the ranges, I was accidentally finding stuff that wasn't in the right year. Right. But as previously stated, I'm open to being wrong. And I'm just killing time while you look this up. I know what I did. Dang it. It did start in 77. Okay. What I was... <gasps> but let's talk about it anyway. Because, hey, let's be real. We watched all these as uh, repeats, and we yeah. make the rules here on Friends Talking Nerdy. So go ahead and talk about Three's Company. Well, I actually <laughs> remember my age. I'm old enough to remember that show being on the air. And uh, we, we watched it. Because I remember it watching the last season and when it transitioned into uh, it, the spinoff Three's a Crowd. Um, Th- Three's Company, like a lot of uh, shows from the 70s, like All in a Family, was based on a British show. Um, I believe it was called Man of the House. But basic premise is that two women are in an apartment, a guy moves in, but he has to pretend he's gay in order to be able to stay there because the landlord doesn't right. want it. And hijinks ensue. Um, in a lot of ways, it was a very simple show. It, it told jokes in the same way that jokes are being told in the 50s. It's just they were talking about modern stuff at that time. Um, uh, the reason I bring that up is because I know uh, Lucille Ball was a huge fan of uh, Three's Company. And in fact, when um, in later seasons, when they had uh, l- l- like clip shows, um, people are people should be so happy today. We don't have to have clip shows anymore. But uh, Lucille Ball actually hosted a couple of clip shows for Three's Company. Um, which, you know, says a lot about what she thought about that show. But, I mean, John Ritter, comedic genius. Um, Don Knotts. Yes. Don Knotts is Mr. Furley. I mean, just his face at the door every time he heard, you know, you know somebody on the other side. Oh, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and just, uh, just what a great show. Yes, I, I do remember enjoying the young John Ritter a lot. It uh, 
was a show that my mom was into, so it was on a lot for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do remember it being one of those topics, right? Because they kind of implied that he was gay, but they didn't super go into it too much. They touched on that subject lightly. Well, Mr. Rubber would go Tinkerbell and then do the little hand gesture. But it, 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 mm-hmm. you got to think about it, too. Even then, they... It, the point of that joke to me was never against, you know, let's make fun of gay people. It was let's make fun of Mr. Roper for having these antiquated views. And that was pretty. Exactly. That, and that was pretty revolutionary in the 70s, if you think about it. Well, and I remember watching it in the 80s and you know 90s in Texas, really, because it will give me to the age of five before I started really <laughs> acknowledging what was on TV. So let's go in the 90s. In the 90s in Texas, watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember. There was a joke I didn't get, but they seemed to be pulling something over on that old funny man, and I dug that. And I, but I didn't really get that it was that he was gay. Right. It was well, somehow he's allowed to live with these ladies, but you know, so not all the wires connected. But I did remember thinking they're up to something, and they're pulling something over on this old man, and I don't understand why it's funny, but it is. It is. It is. Do you have another one on your list? Um, I do. I've got one last one since I'm just going to decide that we shared Three's Company because I wanted that one to be on this list and it came up <laughs> in my Google searching trying to find something in 76. But uh, And this one actually started. It debuted in 76 and I know I watched this a lot. It was a lot of when the TV first became a babysitter for me. The Muppet Show. Great show. It, I Great mean, show. God, can't say enough about that one. Do we have to talk too much about the Muppet Show? I mean, the the guests that they had, the lessons they taught, the you know, the the funniness, but the the dynamics between the characters and all kind of different. You know, I love the Muppet Show. Yeah, it actually spun off because uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that. Uh, it spun off from Saturday Night Live, technically, because the, 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 the Muppets were involved with the first season of Saturday Night Live. They just were not popular because the Muppets type of humor and Saturday Night Live's type of humor was did not mesh well. Um, but yeah. the beauty of the Muppet Show for me, I mean, I remember as a kid in uh, kindergarten, um, uh, they, they would have it on repeats every morning. And so before I go to school, my mother and I would watch the Muppet Show. Um, and uh, it's it's really in a lot of ways a great primer for kids to, for comedy, um, you know, because it's 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 something that you know both the kids and parents can watch. And Jim Henson has a wonderful way of being wholesome while throwing you curveballs, you know, um, like the Muppet, yes. like the Muppet movie. Um, you know, there was there there was a constant running gag of. Um, that of of the the characters commenting on Harry Krishna at one point. Um, I remember Gonzo look uh, when they first saw Miss Piggy. He was like, "What a pig!" You know, um, and and just just oh, I can't say enough about that show. That one taught you context, though, right? Because like yeah. if you just heard "What a pig," I'd be like, "Oh my god, why did you just say?" But he actually meant it as a compliment. Like, yeah. and I remember having a Gonzo. Like he was a beanie body thing with like this hard freaking plastic nose that doubled as a weapon if my brother and I were in bad enough as a fight uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah I mean in the franchise I mean the, from just the, from on TV to later movies to tours to 
I mean, all sorts of stuff that they've done with that show. And I think they still have projects with that show. It's like uh, where they still do things. Yeah, there is a show. I haven't seen it, but it's on Disney Plus called Muppets. Excuse me. uh, Muppets Now, I believe. Um, I haven't seen it, but the reviews I've read from people I trust and the quality's not there. Um, I, I. am upset that uh, the original Muppet show is not on Disney Plus just simply because Bob Iger does not want it on there. Uh, why? Um, you know. And, and the, why does Disney do it? Uh, who knows? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I guess it's your art if that's your thing about it. But that's why I also don't give Disney money. So that's just where I vote with my dollars on it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, but that's one. Like, I don't know. I would struggle if I could find it somewhere on a good deal because you know, with kids in your life, that's the stuff that you show them. Is the things that you kind of remember pulling the the good stuff from when you were a child. Exactly. Um, that's like part of the that's part of the joys of having kids. <laughs> yep. All right. Time for our album review of the week. You brought us an interesting album. Tell folks what it is. All right. Well, the name of the album is Has Been by one William Shatner, who's actually come up, I think, every time I've been on the show. Technically, I know I've just kind of returned on the reg. But William Shatner came up in the first show I was in. Uh, because we were talking about Esperanto, and mm. he is just the ultra nerd because this man just does whatever he wants. And I think this album further proves that uh and also that half the time when my brother recommends an album to me because this was actually a brother recommendation that i've never gotten to and decided you know what two birds one stone album recommendation for the show and i will finally have listened to this um but this is one that i don't think is my favorite (laughs) but uh but i'm excited to go through it um so Overall, I, I think I've got a new term called shattering a song, which is basically in, in lieu of singing, you just talk with the cadence of sarcasm as if you are attending a poetry dram on an ironic level. Because uh, that's kind of what I felt about it overall, but we can get into that individually with each song. But how did it overall hit you? Um, this is not going to be one that's going to be on repeat listening for me, but it wasn't as bad of an experience as I thought it would be. Um, cause I remember what was his first album, uh, in 68, the transformed man or something like that. Um, or the original, uh, uh, yeah. And it just, yeah, he, it, it's a curiosity. Let's put it that way. And there are a couple of, uh, a couple of, a uh, decent tracks on here that, that, uh, we'll discuss as we go on, but it's not exactly one. Uh, it's, it's not going to yes. rival anybody's lit, uh, be top on anybody's list of greatest albums ever made. Cause it's, it's not. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, I feel if they were to do a music video for this entire album, it would just be William Shatner sitting at like a lone coffee table, like round coffee table style huh. with a light on just him. Yeah. But still, people in the background like doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, because that's what—that is what he was doing. I mean, he—it it felt like to me it, it, he wasn't singing as much as he was doing a dramatic reading of 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 the lyrics, trying to become a character. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But let's yeah, get, let's so let's dive in, right? Yep. The first track, "Common People." What were your thoughts? So. Uh, Overall, I felt like I've got the notes. This is where I came up immediately with, oh, okay, shattering a song. This Mm -hmm. is where that note came from was, oh, so we're going to rock it, man, over a variety of musical tunes. Got it. 
and <laughs> I hate to say that that's kind of overall how I felt, <laughs> but uh, the choir randomly popping into this song really threw me off, and uh, I don't feel like the guests ever really made sense. Like, none of the styles seemed to match between him, the choir, and the guests. It did feel off. Um, I mean, my notes with uh, his dramatic reading, it can seem a little forced at times. Uh, the rhyming makes his conversational tone seem forced. Uh, the singer, Joe Jackson, was pretty decent. The guitar work was pretty solid. Um, and, and I think Shatner did get into the flow of the song by the end. Um, I did not realize it was a cover song. Apparently a band named Pulp uh, came out with this song first. Um, and but but also I, I did kind of uh, get the idea I, I understood why he picked it because he's been very open about um, fans that ultimately step over the line um, you know the fans that will show up with like 20 different things to sign or if he's at dinner with his family oh come on yeah. it's just one autograph type of deal so I can get why he picked it um, just ultimately it's not bad I just I just said that it took about half the song to get to the the decent part it goes back to very wordy um but it doesn't have like the same cadence that i appreciate of like hip-hop wordiness it just kind of has the the poetry jam wordiness instead which you know it, it that has its place um i just i guess i had song. hoped for something not like i said rocket man the, yeah. when he did rocket man um yeah, so <laughs> I guess that's what we have to say about that. Like, it's definitely the content was good. Like, I would want to sit and read the lyrics to all of these songs just to take in what he's saying. Right. So I think I would have almost rather liked just reading the lyrics than trying to enjoy it as an album. Right. All right, um, the next song, It Hasn't Happened Yet. What do you think? Uh, so this one I put very easily mused. Excuse me, let me try that sentence over again. Very easy listening. It was very musacky. Like I could feel it being in an elevator. Uh, and this was the one where I kind of had it in my head where it's like, I feel like he's at a poetry jam and this is just the inner monologue while he's not listening to the other poetry jammers. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, the music kind of threw me off because it, it, the music gave the vibe of like 90s, um, like late night 900 number commercials, you know, like to call the sexiest ladies, call one 900, you know, and it, yeah, <laughs> stuff that turned into elevator music later. Like they just repurposed it, I think, but it felt like the same shit. <laughs> yeah, just it just felt wrong, but it wasn't bad, if that made sense. Um, his vocal delivery was quite natural, and I, I get the again why he. Um, picked this song because of something you mentioned, the fact that he does seem to do a lot. I mean, uh, apart from acting, he's got the music work. He's got the books he's written. He's got, uh, he hosted a game show for a while. He's um, a businessman actor, and there's nothing wrong with being a businessman actor. And that's, uh, it doesn't mean you don't have pride in your work, but you want to take advantage of everything that comes your way. So um, that's why I think he kind of picked this one. But this is not again not one that would ever be on a repeat for for me or anything like that. Same these. All right, the next one. You'll have time. 
So I loved the nihilistic nature of this song. Um, and it's like, you know, you'll have time. Uh, William Shatner featuring the You're Gonna Die gospel backup singers. Like, they cracked me up. Like, every time those gospel, the kind of the choir singer, like, chimed in was awesome. Um, I did have a note that at the beginning is like, oh, he almost started to try to sing here. Um, but then he went right back into, you know, like I said, that sarcastic cadence. Right. But the listing the deaths at the end, like this was probably my favorite song just because it was funny enough to really get my attention over his delivery. Uh, and the, I think the choir really helped. But I just like, oh, the nihilistic gospel singers. I love them. Like, you're going <laughs> to die. <laughs> Um, the notes I had, I, I, I did love the, the Scott Joplin-esque uh, type of opening. Um, and, and I felt he was, I felt Shatner was trying to like put himself back in the shoes. Do you remember that old SNL sketch where he was, you know, telling us, telling the fans to get alive, you know, d- 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 type, d- I, 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 I can put it up on the Friends Talking Nerdy uh, page and whatnot, but yeah. it's, uh, he hosted SNL at one point in the eighties and it was a very famous sketch where he told people to get a life and, you know, it's just a silly show I did. But then, um, the host of the Star Trek convention was like, he's playing the evil Captain Kirk. Yay. Um, but I felt, <laughs> I felt he was trying to capture that. And while the choir was a nice touch, I felt the, the joke got old rather fast. It was just, it was like a laugh, but then it just kept going and going. It's just like, okay, enough finish already. Yep. It's definitely, it's not one that I would, that would end up on a repeat list of like my funny <laughs> songs. Uh, I did appreciate it on the album though, because it at least, it, it managed to stand out lyrically because it sounded different enough to get my attention. Right. Uh, to sound different than the delivery of all of the other songs. All right, let's go to the next one then. That's me trying. What'd you think? I put in quotes, daddy issues song. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I liked the chorus, like musically and like vocally, like, you know, how it sounded. Um, but that's pretty much all I had put on it. Um, Amy Mann, she sounded familiar, but I can't think of anything I would know her from. Um, she's married, I believe, to Paul Thomas Anderson and did the soundtrack um, to, I think, like Magnolia. So she's she's an artist that other artists uh, have heard that um, hasn't necessarily like uh, reached mass appeal or anything like that. But um, she's she, she, yeah, I mean she's she's got she's a good caliber musician. Let's put it that way. So um, the notes gotcha. I had uh, nice piano opening. I dug that. Uh, the background vocals with Amy Mann uh, were good. Uh, Shatner's delivery in this song was natural. It didn't seem like he was you know reading lyrics. Um, and it sounded almost like a voiceover in a noir movie, you know, just I was sitting in the bar one day and, and, and I, I like that aspect of it. And I also like the aspect, too. It did kind of kind of touch on some of the aspects of what it can be like when a dating when you're older. That's not bad to talk about, you know, um, and just, yeah, you just sometimes it doesn't go your way. You just find ways to keep moving on because that's what you got to do. You got to keep trying. Yeah. Our next track. What have you done? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I thought like, I just wanted to make poetry jam jokes the entire time. Apparently at work because I'm even annoyed with uh, past Tracy here. Like, huh? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it was just, I kept waiting for the music to start 
Like, I felt like it was an intro, so it was almost the reverse of what happened on the last album, where I'm like, wow, this is a long intro with, you know, music and no words, whereas this one, it just flipped that script on me, where it was all words and no music. I'm like, oh, cool, so this one is literally William Shatner talking. Got it. <laughs> yeah. You don't know the history of the song, though. I don't. This, I, he wrote this about the his wife dying in a pool in the late 90s. This actually happened to him. And um, this was pretty sobering to listen to. It was very, um, it, knowing that story, it was very emotional to listen to because, um, yeah. you know, like the 911 calls were made public and, you know, anybody, you catch your spouse, you know, drowned in a pool, you're going to be freaking out. He was freaking out. And, you know, it's it was great to see him use art as a way to kind of get through that grief and i think that's what this song did it, it, it's not again this is not something you're going to bring up at parties and listen to or anything like that but um yeah. there's a lot of raw emotion here um in his delivery if you if you know that history so this one i i, I again i'm not going to listen to it again but um for for what it was based on his history very powerful Yes, and if you are a Shatner fan, I would just say it goes without saying, like it's worth listening to. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Don't... I would yeah. I would give it a listen, like maybe once every once in a while, or if there was somebody's like, oh my god, I really love William Shatner, but I've never listened to this. Like I would listen to it again. But yeah, the the repeat value, I'm not going to jam out to it at work. Um, and I actually did not. I didn't recall the full story. I remembered his wife had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is like I said. I kind of wanted to go and read the lyrics. Just go back through and read through them like a book. Um, I did not get to do that before I got to do the recording with you today. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It's interesting to hear because I feel he got raw too. Also, um, he did that a little bit with uh, what was the "That's Me Trying." Uh, so I kind of felt some of that rawness again revisited without the distraction of any music. So right. it was interesting to hear the rawness with zero other distraction around it. And now knowing the story to that, it really makes sense that he didn't want to distract at all from those words he's trying to speak. Yep. All right. Let's go on to the next song. Together, what were your thoughts? I, I really liked the guitar at the beginning. I have notes that it was a. I liked the very light kind of picking sound to it, and that I think if you like musically and instrumentally, this was probably my favorite song. Uh, so just that alone, not not words at all. Um, very, it, it felt a little bit more upbeat, I guess, than the things around it. Yeah, um, yeah. The notes I had a churchy vibe to open things. Uh, the keyboard uh, kind of gave a Pink Floyd type of vibe to me. Um, the guitar work was solid. I didn't care for the drums because it felt like an overactive drum machine uh, going nuts, um, and it, it was just much more act. The, the drums were much more active than what the song uh, really asked for. Um, didn't care for Shatner's uh, delivery. It it just was all over the place. Um, what I did find out is uh, the there was a band that did this song with him, uh, Lemon Jelly. Uh, they're a UK based band. Uh, when I first heard this song, it sounded you know it sounded really familiar, and I uh, did some digging. They did some work on one of my favorite TV shows. Um, do, you, do you recall the the British TV show Spaced with Simon Pegg? Oh man, I have not seen that. Even though I do love Simon Pegg, so 
so I might have to try to find a way to check that out. It's on Hulu. I, I highly recommend it. It's two seasons long, six episodes for each season. Um, but it's it's one of my favorite TV. It, to me, this goes on my Mount Rushmore greatest TV shows ever. Um, the last episode of that show had a song called at the very last scene of the very last show called a Staunton Lick, which was made by Lemon Jelly. So. It, it was great to kind of kind of have have that little connection there. So while I wasn't a huge fan of the song, it was great, you know, hearing uh, Lemon Jelly again do something different. Yeah. All right, the next one, Familiar Love. I put that it had a very seductive, jazzy vibe, but like it kind of felt creepy at the same time. Like especially at the end, like there was something about the way he said. Uh, boy, do I love that. That I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it's yeah. just like the final, I, I don't know what it was about his delivery, but it totally, it put me off on the song, like from the beginning. You could smell and, the uh, Axe body spray coming so, off. What was that? You could smell the Axe body spray coming off. <laughs> I mean, just oh, typical yeah. male grossness. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I even spaced on some of the words at that point, just because it just, <laughs> I felt like I was being hit on and I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I kind of had the same the same thoughts here. I mean, it to me it felt like it was a Vegas lounge type of feel. Um, he was trying to capture the feel of like a Burt Bacharach type of song, and just with his delivery, it was just gross. You, you felt like you were in not like one of the big prestigious Vegas showrooms. You were like one that was like three blocks away that used to be famous that maybe Frank Sinatra stopped by to use the bathroom at one time. But <laughs> just, I mean, you could you could smell like Lucky Strike cigarettes from 1970s in the air type of deal. And just, just ew, just this wasn't for me. Yeah, it's like you're waiting to be pointed towards the direction of the casting couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got this movie I'm making. Hey, want to discuss it? I've got this movie, and let me tell you in my most seductive voice why I think you're perfect for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, next track. Let's go to the next one. Ideal Woman. What did you think? Uh, I put that at least it made me move. But the sound felt very, like, I kept expecting him to start singing the Monster Mash. Like, there was just something very (laughs) awkward. And uh, it went right back to the sarcastic delivery, just kind of starting to lose me again. Um, And then at the end, I guess he was kind of being silly with the whole, like, but I do like that. Or I I wouldn't change that. Or I would change that. I forget. Like... Because I, I don't know, maybe there's just something, there's that little bit of that feminist in me that just hears a man like saying what he likes ideally about a woman and my ears just shut off. So <laughs> if there was a deeper meaning to the song, I'm willing to be educated. <laughs> yeah. Um, me, I, I, I didn't care for this. I said the music's awful. It sounds like someone imitating a song from a Quentin Tarantino movie without either having listened to any Quentin Tarantino soundtracks or watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. The guitar solo was decent, but just Shatner's delivery was just all over the place because he was vamping. He was vamping. He was trying to be funny here, and when he tries to be funny, it doesn't come across as funny. It just, to your point, it comes off as creepy. It just, ugh. yeah. And I think it's also because it followed familiar love, which was a kind of. It seemed to give you the creepy vibe too. So it could have just been. 
wrong place in the album for this song. Yeah, uh, So maybe it just got set up for accidental failure, but yeah, I'm <laughs> with you. This one, I would honestly be like, you know what, you can actually skip Ideal Woman. Like, listen to Familiar Love so you can feel just like, like your ears have been sexually assaulted, but like you can skip Ideal Woman if you listen to that one. Or maybe it's an either or. <laughs> or do it on shuffle, I don't know. <laughs> but Do it on shuffle, don't listen to them next to each other. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get to the title track. Has been. What do you think? Oh, man. The only note I have is round up the wagons. Like, I felt like this almost could have gone with doing, I mean, not as good as, but it was very, uh, since we had just done the Possum Posse. Yeah. Uh, it kind of, like, was a little close to that, um, <laughs> but not as not as good. Sorry, William Shatner. I, I do love William Shatner, and I wanted to throw that out there. I feel like I got to give the Tim disclaimer. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not a beautiful rainbow flower to somebody else. Um, but <laughs> I, I love William Shatner, but, man, this album, just I, I had a little bit of a time getting through it. <laughs> yeah, this, I, uh, yeah, to your point, I did not care for the, the country opening. Um, it, I mean, I, I can appreciate his take on the critics, too, because it is it is silly for someone in my position to be telling him he's a has-been when he's still very much making lots of money in show business and I'm just some schmuck with a podcast, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I get the point he was trying to make, but just... Oof. Um, I wouldn't say it's the bad, the the worst track on the album. Uh, we'll wait for the next track for that one, but uh, you were going to say something. Oh, no, just... Yeah, it's almost like he was trying to be ironic with the choice of music for a song about has-beens because there's so much of Western and even older like country and Western music Mm -hmm. that's still adapted and even used. But yeah, you get to this like, yeah, maybe round up the wagons. That one is a has-been. Like if like, I don't think that style of country is going to come back Uh, or even it's not even really referenced that much in current country, but Mm -hmm. some of the older like like as the beginning, like is still in modern country and existed like in the seventies and eighties too. So I I could see it being a little bit of the style being picked specifically. And if it was, it makes me respect it more. However, it doesn't make me like it anymore. (laughs) Like find enjoyment in it more. All right. Speaking of bad, let's talk about the next one. I can't get behind that. Uh, I'm going to start with, I guess, a positive is that I liked the drum intro, but I think that (laughs) ended shortly after that. Uh, But I did, like, it was a good frustration rage song, I guess. Like, he just sounded really fucking mad is what I guess I kind of got out of it. But I did enjoy the irony of the part where about getting paid for talking instead of singing, because that's what I pretty much at this point was like, Oh, he did talk the entire album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. I had the same note about the drum opening. It was like great Hawaii five Oh uh, drum opening there. But you know, I never thought I would hear the day that Henry Rollins and William Shatner did a song together. And I regret the fact that they did a song together because this was just awful. Just it, it's this is not something that I feel will grow on you. You will either find it absolutely hilarious or you will find it god awful. I'm in the latter, yeah. It, it, it's like people who really like bad movies. 
I think this is William Shatner's musical version, like an album version of a bad movie. This like, is his Death Wish I, I can, <laughs> oh, I, I can appreciate it, but yeah. I don't know if I like it. But uh, did you have anything else to say about about this song before we move to the final track? No, I, I, I was just glad that that particular song was over. But let's talk about the last one here. Duet with Brad Paisley, who actually wrote the song Real. What did you think? Which, ironically, I felt like this was the only real song on the album, and it is because Brad Paisley wrote it, that explains it, and he also, like, did the singing in the album. Mm -hmm. So, you know, William Shatner did his thing, but then, like, you could very much, and Brad Paisley just sounds like Brad Paisley, so even if I didn't see the name Brad Paisley, I would have been like, is that Brad Paisley? Like, <laughs> he's got kind of a distinct sound to him. Right. Um, so it's almost, I felt like this was almost thrown on as a guest, like, it was more a Brad Paisley song got thrown on to the end of a William Shatner album. But Shatner still Shatnered through it, though. Well, so what, there's that. I, what I think may have happened, and this is just speculation, but I, I think back to a couple years back when the Monkees had a new album out. Um, uh, and uh, they had, uh, like... Rivers Cuomo from the band Weezer ended up writing the big track off the album She Makes Me Laugh but he wrote it for them specifically so I, what I could see happening here is that Brad Paisley may have known William Shatner because celebrities sometimes travel in circles they may have met and um, through one way or another found out he was making the album so thought why not let's make this uh, make this song here um, I, I put that Paisley's contribution to the song was fine but the song itself is just too preachy I get it. Having folks continually want Shatner's thoughts on everything um, would be very frustrating if you're in his position. I, I am very much empathetic to that position, but this just is like a whining more than anything. You know, it's it's just, you know, it's like this is the life you chose. I mean, did, you, did he anticipate in the 50s when he first uh, started getting into acting that, you know, what, what the entertainment industry would become with streaming and all that stuff? No, he did not. But yeah. that still doesn't mean that he wasn't aware of the fact that, you know, people in high positions are sometimes asked their opinions and stuff that, they are that they're going to give the same same answer as you or I would, you know, because at the end of the day, yes, he is a human. We get it. He's a real person just like everybody else, but just too preachy. I, I think it could have been maybe it could have been worded a little differently because I didn't think the song was that bad. I mean, the Brad Paisley part I thought was pretty good. So, yeah, that was kind of my point was I really I enjoyed Brad Paisley. <laughs> I because <laughs> he was on there and he was being Brad Paisley. But I guess to be fair, you could say the same argument of William Shatner to give credit where it is due. He came on here and he was William Shatner about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will always appreciate that in an artist. So uh, if this was his way of wanting to communicate in this way to those fans that would give a shit enough to hear him kind of, I you know, he kind of used the whole album to get a lot of thoughts out there. And in a way, I do think it's cool that he found a very Shatner way of putting out a bunch of thoughts that he had. Yeah. So overall, I could totally see the appreciation for it. Um, I'm curious to see because I guess he's got a bluegrass one that he announced. A blues album. A blues album. Thank you for correcting me on that one. Yeah. See, now we're even. We've, we've both <laughs> sufficiently corrected each other enough for this episode of Friends <laughs> Talking Nerdy. I believe we've hit our quota. Uh, but yeah, like I, I saw that he's doing another one. And so there's part of me that wants to keep an ear 
and maybe if he does something different, maybe talk about that one. But I, I think as far as this style of album goes, it's a solid Shatner, Shatnered an album. Uh, listen, enjoy. I would recommend honestly reading it, especially if you do have, you know, like part of the reason I can't pitch into the words is hearing issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would highly recommend reading through some of it. Yeah. Um, and to your point earlier, I mean, I, I would tell folks, yeah, I mean, if, if you are a Shatner fan, give it a give it a listen through at least once i mean it is a curiosity and there are some great elements to it i mean whether it's the dark emotional element um of of that track we're discussing his wife passing away um or some some of the other tracks it's it's not a bad album but it's also not it's not it's not one you're going to ever listen to on repeat thank goodness for streaming services i did not have to buy this Thank you, YouTube, and my ability to use it at work. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next week will be my choice for an album, and I don't have one off the top of my head. Um, so what I think I will do is create a poll on the friend. Goody. Yeah. No, I'll do it on Twitter. I think Twitter I'll get more mileage out of that and more people voting. But I will put four choices up. I will have the poll end on Tuesday. Is that a good enough time, do you think? To be able to listen and get your notes in for next week. Yeah, cut it off Tuesday night. If you let me know Wednesday morning, I can I can get it done. All right, sounds good. So we're done. Another episode in the books. Yeah, it was a good time. So uh, are, are you ready to throw it to uh, one one Mr. Rogers? That I am, Mr. Rogers. Take it away and remember. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling. The feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new. And I'll have more ideas for you. And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will, too. You always make each day such a special day. You know how. By just your being you. Only one person in the whole world like you. That's you yourself. I'll be back next time. Bye-bye. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.